happy Valentine's Day, everybody. It is the season of love. The birds are in the air. My squad, bitch, I'm down for my squad. My squad. The bees are doing their thing. Who knows what? I communicate with them by dancing. And joining me today is Abby Libby from Conspiracy Pilled, and we are going to talk about our top 10 favorite romances. Thank you for joining me, Abby. Thank you for having me. I love romance, and I love talking about it, and books. <laughs> books, yes. <laughs> books. I love books. And I'm going to be honest, I really undersold romances when I was younger. I was kind of shy about reading romances. I mostly stuck to fantasy and sci-fi. But as I've gotten older, I've learned to enjoy romances a lot more. So I'm really excited to be talking about this with you. There's this whole stigma. Well, there's two stigmas, I think, around mm -hmm. romance novels in the regular world, the the not conservative Christian world, just the right. normie world. Uh, <laughs> there's just a stigma that they're not substantive, that they're just fluff. Right. And I have found that romance, I mean, obviously there's going to be fluff in every genre. Like every genre is going to have... Right less good offering fantasy and sci-fi has all kinds of fluff right but if you look at the good stuff in any genre in romance you see a lot of of great themes about various not even just the romantic relationship but familial relationships and workplace stuff and there's a lot of just going through the mundane troubles of life and talking to you about it. I, I love reading romance novels because it just talks about all the normal stuff that you need like someone to talk to about. I, I think that's why I've come to enjoy romances more as I've gotten older because I've lived more life and more impactful things have happened to me. And those are the things that are actually talked about in romances. Like in a fantasy world, everyone's too busy trying to overcome the great evil. Real people don't necessarily have the big bag overlord to kill. I mean, it's not like we're all going out and having to kill Voldemort. Yeah! But we have yeah. our own Voldemorts of our lives, whatever those incidences are. Ah, I and I think romance handles that a lot better. Yeah, you, we each have our little quiet personal tragedies. And you could argue that literary fiction does this too, without all the fluff of romance. But I, I think literary fiction tends to wallow in things, whereas romance covers the exact same themes, the exact same topics, but with a lot more hope. Yeah. But the basic thing I think I've come down to is that every single romance novel includes each person, each of the pairing, have their own hurdle they have to get over. There's a reason why they struggle to find love, connect with people, whatever, and they have to overcome that. And I love, because there are always stories about overcoming and in getting past some sort of personal trauma or hardship. Yeah, I, I really like that too, because it's not just a one-sided perspective. You have the dual perspective and you see how they grow together into that union, whatever that love looks like. And I think that makes it really special. So let's go ahead and jump into our number 10 book. I'm excited. So uh, my number 10 book is Graceling by Kristen Cashore. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest, this is a YA fantasy novel, so I know I preface this by saying, we're going to talk about romance. Here's a fantasy novel. <laughs> but it has a romance in it, I promise. 
Okay, so this uh, fantasy novel takes place in the fictional world of the Midlands, where people have something called a grace. And this grace gives them different abilities. When they're young, it makes them change eye colors. And our main character has the grace of killing. Or so we think. Ooh, mystery. Uh, and so Katza is <laughs> a young lady trying to deal with this grace of killing. I mean, if you were a young woman and your yeah. ability was to be able to go out and kill people, I mean, that, that's something you struggle with <laughs> a lot. Uh, and she's manipulated and there's a lot of military intrigue and things like that. Uh, but she meets a young leading man named Poe, and he has a similar ability. And they kind of grow together in that their romance is very wholesome. Uh, unlike a lot of YA fiction out there right now, his very wholesome is very sweet. Um, but one of the reasons this ranks lower on my list is that it has two traps. It's a trap! We're going to have to do a video on trap books at some point. Uh, one of the traps is that there's a gay character in there for no reason at all. Ha! Gay! Ah! I know! <laughs> and this book came out in 2008. I want to say 2006, 2008. Okay, the YA book world has been going woke way longer than anyone knew. Right? Right? Uh, and, yeah. Uh, video for a later time. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> we almost just completely derailed this talk. <laughs> And it's going to be easy to do that because a few books on this list um, have some traps in there. It's a trap! Which is unfortunate. I get that it's a romance novel and you want to have love in there. But okay. anyway, um, and then the other thing is that because she and Poe start this romantic relationship, she tries to find herbs that prevent her from getting pregnant. And because this is a very... Um, ancient sort of civilization they don't have technology they don't have medicine she's trying to find herbs kind of equivalent to plan b and as you guys know i don't support plan b um and you know who also doesn't support plan b is north arrow coffee the most pro-life coffee out there delicious coffee having a cup in my lip mug you should use code hawkhound to get 10 percent off of your north arrow coffee plug straight there in the first book but had to get it in there. I, I didn't see it coming, but I was ready for it. I'm so glad you were ready for it. <laughs> so what is your number 10 book, Abby? My number 10 book is also YA, and it's actually a series. So <laughs> it's The Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. So the first book <gasps> is Cinder, and then the next books are Scarlet, Cress, and Winter. So basically, this is a sci-fi retelling of a bunch of different fairy tales which i love fairy tale retellings when they're done right because i love fairy tales they are this perfectly distilled story that has been passed down for so many years because it's so powerful so cinderella obviously is the first one in it she is a cyborg and I so as it. you might imagine she loses her whole leg instead of just her shoe Spo spoilers <laughs> spoilers so there's there's spaceships and aliens and like a han solo type character later on and there's just all kinds of great stuff mixed in with these classic fairy tales so i love cinder it sets up this overarching storyline so each book 
is a different fairy tale. Uh, Scarlet is Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, Cress is Rapunzel, and Winter is Snow White. But there's an overarching storyline that goes through all of them, and they kind of pick up the characters as they go. So, in the second book, Red Riding Hood meets Cinderella, and they team up, and then they meet Cress, and they team up. That's kind of how it goes along. So, highly recommend. Marissa Meyer went a little woke later on, but this series is good. So, I can't recommend her wholeheartedly, but I really loved it. I really loved the series and it was I thought the romance was done really well and didn't get lost in the in the plot. So that's my That's ten. really good that it was very wholesome, very drawn out. This is a series I've read too. Uh and it doesn't feel like an unnecessary add-on, like they had to add it just because it was a fairy tale. It yeah. felt very much a part of the story. I really liked it a lot. So creative. So it's creative. very creative to make to take those classic fairy tales and turn it into a sci-fi uh, sort of tale. I loved it. So one of the things we're doing with this video is ranking our books based on spice. Uh, so we have a spice meter, which you guys will see down below. Uh, and it's traditional to the bases, as you might expect in romance. So uh, how would you rate the Lunar Chronicles on our spice meter? I think, I think it's just a one. Just a one base pepper, if you will. Jalapeno. <laughs> one jalapeno. I like it. Yeah, I'd give Graceling also a one jalapeno. I'll be honest, it's been a minute since I've read it. It could be a soft two kind of habanero, but uh, if my memory serves me, it's a jalapeno. Yeah, unfortunately, my memory always makes things less spicy than they were when I read them, because that's not why I read them. Exactly. So my brain just skims over whatever the scene is, and, and then I recommend it to somebody and they're like oh what <laughs> what was that but i okay the story i feel like we should address a lot of i've heard the claim often that romance novels are just pornography for women and i find that to be a little bit wrong for a couple yeah, reasons right. one is that we don't or at least we don't um, right. Maybe not all women, but we don't use it for the same purpose that men do. We're not reading 300, 400 page books for one release. Like, that doesn't make any <laughs> That's sense. That's not a very effective way to get that one release. And it's, yes, the whole book is about romance. And yes, often the spicier ones at least do have a sex scene or three. But again... 400 page book it's right. it's no more than your typical action movie in the amount of scenes so i i wonder if sometimes it's this cop out of like well women do it too so i get to <laughs> instead of just dealing with the problem i mean we see this online and at any point someone comes after the porn industry on twitter all of these men who we assume things about not necessarily good not necessarily bad come up in arms that you're attacking their porn oh my gosh how dare yeah. you do you read romance novels yes i do <laughs> i do it's not the same thing <laughs> and an another critique i hear a lot which is it can be fair and i think when i evaluate a story i do look at this is that one of the reasons that porn is wrong, not the top one, but one of them is that the women are unattainable. They're mm -hmm. they're so perfect. And I think that that is 
the thing where sometimes you see in a romance novel the men are just ridiculously unattainably that perfect and set unfair expectations. But I find almost more often that because of what we mentioned earlier, how each person has something they have to get past, some sort of hurdle, a lot of times for the men it's that they're not particularly lovable. Yeah. And they have to get to a point of like letting themselves be tamed to a point of um, not being assholes. So the I don't know. Some- abs kind of help out though. <laughs> Sometimes I think that it's the exact opposite that women accept much more terrible red flaggy men in romance novels than they would ever accept in real life. That is, uh, I think that is very true of romance because we often find that one of the hurdles the women are trying to overcome is a bad past relationship. Whatever that relationship looked like, whether it was physical trauma, psychological trauma, they're literally like trying to outrun this person. Uh, That is often a driving force for these romances and why it is so meaningful when they find the male protagonist because they're able to grow together and push those bad experiences behind them. Yeah. Learning to trust, learning to open up again is is a common theme. There are so many nice heartwarming themes in romance. Right. I just love it. I just love it. I do too. What's your number nine? All right. So my number nine is one we actually read together. The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. I'm so glad you got me to read this book. I loved so much about it. So our main character, Hannah, uh, is not someone you would expect to be a bodyguard, uh, but she is. And the way she is portrayed is very cool. It's not like she's going around beating up all these muscly men. The idea is that she is supposed to stop the situation from ever arising before it happens, which I think is a very realistic way to portray a female bodyguard, which I really appreciated from Catherine Center. I also like that she had to, uh, not by her own choice, guard this, uh, I guess the Ryan Gosling of their world, the <laughs> very attractive superstar, uh, Jack Stapleton, I think is his name. Very relatable. <laughs> very relatable. Normal guy. <laughs> Super movie star. And he has this middle-aged corgi breeder stalking him. <laughs> it's like the, the whole setup is both very endearing and very absurd, which is why I really liked it. It's funny. It was funny. Uh, Their chemistry was really special. It it was a very funny book. And there was a lot of mystery in the undertones. Like, she had to pretend to be his girlfriend when they went to his Texas uh, family home ranch because his parents didn't know he was being stalked. There's a lot of tension going on there with the family. So not only is there a sweet romance there, of course, it's a romance book, but there is a lot of, like, real life problems they had to deal with together. Like we were saying earlier, there's stuff that Jack had to deal with. There's stuff that Hannah had to deal with. Speaking of bad past relationships, uh, there's friendship betrayal in there. It's crazy. The way that romance novels do friendships and deal with like the ins and outs of friendship, like almost no other, right? Besides your like plot twist, your friend betrayed you in a, in a fantasy novel for the sake of it. Almost nothing else deals with just the mundane of how hard it is to hang on to even just a regular female-female friendship. I really appreciate that out of romance novels. Again, especially as I've gotten older, a lot of those high school and college friends have slipped away. I appreciate how they portray those lifelong 
friendships and like you said, how hard they are to hang on to and what it takes to be a loyal and trustworthy friend. And sometimes it's really hard to attain. Yeah. So what's your number nine? My number nine is almost more an author than it is a single book, but I have picked a single book. Um, it's another YA, but it doesn't feel like it. So this is Maggie Stiefvater. She lives and writes pretty near me in the area. And so oh, wow. her work is very, um, I feel it around me, I guess. She's very in tune with nature and um, she writes incredibly romantic settings and romantic stories in like the rawest, uh, most wow. wild form of it, which is why I had to bring her up. So the book I'm talking about is The Scorpio Races, which is a book about racing a certain type of fantastical horse called a water horse, which is basically this intense, vicious, like um, carnivorous horse. So the <laughs> setup is that every year on the 1st of November, the water horses come up out of the water and there's a chance to capture them. And so this whole season begins where they try to rope a horse and then they'll they'll train it, race in the Scorpio races, and then um, they keep them and breed them. And then when they're old, they let them go back out to sea. So it's just this whole season. So our main character, Puck, is falling on really hard times, going to lose her house. And so she's like, my one chance out of the situation is if I get myself a horse and race. So she ends up meeting, the love interest is uh, one of the uh really really good jockeys one of the really good horse breeders he's just been working with these water horses his whole life he's got like the the skill for it and what i loved about it is that very rarely do i see that particular type of man written where he's deeply masculine but he's not like all these hard edges he's got this like soft spot for horses and he's very thoughtful and intuitive and um quiet very quiet guy I and uh him. i love this i love the story i've read it twice now and i'm getting ready to read it again <laughs> oh but you've already I, sold I, me I, on it <laughs> i'd recommend anything by maggie um i her other book that is or series the raven boys series is incredibly romantic as well but traps so she one thing I like about Maggie though is when she writes her gay characters she doesn't throw them in your face in her okay. world they're just normal and for a discerning adult I don't mind that at all I would be careful about giving this, that series to a teenager but as an adult it doesn't feel like it's rubbed in my face it doesn't feel like it's shoved down my throat it's just like oh yeah that character's gay okay that's fine <laughs> I, I so, can appreciate that Um, I rate Scorpio races uh, a one and probably some of her other stuff in the two range but her work is just so like I said just romantic through and through I love that I totally forgot to rate uh, the bodyguard what would you say I was thinking maybe a oh. two or a three I can't remember I know that's the hard part I think Catherine Center tends to fade to black on that's her what scenes I think too. so probably only a two I, I would agree with that so give bodyguard <laughs> a pretty solid two Oh, yeah. All right. So my number eight is Beach Read by Emily Henry. Uh, I actually have two books by Emily Henry on this book. Like I said, I haven't read a whole lot of just straight up romance, uh, but I really enjoyed Beach Read. 
It was very good. Uh, it's very sweet. It felt like a popcorn book. It was just full of really good feels. The characters are very sweet, but also deep. Uh, they have uh, very intense backstories for both of them. Not super depressing, just real life, you know? Right. Like you were saying earlier, there are real problems that they have to deal with because they're supposed to feel like real people. And that's something I really appreciate appreciate about Emily Henry's writing. Um, so we basically have two authors, January Andrews and Augustus Everett, and they have complete writer's block. They can't get a single word on the page. Uh, and if you're any type of creator, I'm sure you can relate to that at least a little bit. Uh, and so they go to the beach, both for different reasons, and they find out that they're next door neighbors. And so one night, I can't remember if they were drunk or not, they probably were, but they make this deal. So January typically writes romance and Augustus typically writes these really intense uh, literary fiction. And so to break out of their writer's block, they're going to write each other's genre, which I think is such a cool idea. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And the love story that generates between them is very sweet and very genuine because they're both kind of rubbing their raw edges together. It's like they're both coming out of their shell. Spicy. Well, okay, not like that. Not like that. (laughs) That's what she said. Poor choice of language. (laughs) But you know those rough edges that you have uh, when you're dealing with something very painful. And they both kind of bring that out of each other in a way that's very healthy to deal with. There are parts where they kind of argue a lot, but it drives the narrative forward. I think Emily Henry is a very powerful writer and the way she writes this romance is very special. Uh, I guess I'd rank it again, maybe a two or a three. I can't remember how spicy it gets. I think Emily Henry cuts to black a little bit later than Catherine Center. So maybe I, closer to a three. I It's been a little while since I've read Beach Read. And sometimes it's hard to tell because some authors are just so good at writing the tension that it feels yes. hotter than it is. I think it's a three. But that was one of the, like, warmer books <laughs> I've read. Just in terms of tension. I, I agree with that. She's very good with the tension without showing anything graphic, which I right. really appreciate in a writer. Because... I have a really hard time with uh, graphic romance stuff. Like a really hard time. Uh, a, a lot of that comes from my upbringing and stuff. I've gotten better about it now. Uh, and this was right on my threshold. So if I was comfortable reading it, maybe y'all will be too. Uh, I definitely recommend it. I will say there's a minor trap there, but it, I, I think it was his, naturally wrote. I forgot. Uh, his aunt is a lesbian oh okay yeah yeah. but she she was written so naturally like you were saying earlier it didn't feel like it was thrown in my face she was just kind of the quirky aunt uh Mm. with her lesbian wife girlfriend i'm not gonna deal with all that (laughs) just recognize that it's there Uh, since it's a three obviously i would not give this to any young adult this is definitely an adult book it was a good one yeah i loved i loved the conversation it's like a heavily literary conversation about the comparison between romance novels and, and literary fiction. That baked yes. in conversation I loved. I like the investigation of the cult. That was really yes. interesting. <laughs> good stuff all around. It was really good. So what is your number eight? Okay, this is my last YA, I promise. <laughs> but it was it's so unique and cute. 
So this is called Technically You Started It by Lana Wood Johnson. It is a one on the spice meter. And basically, I don't want to say too much about it, but the setup is that, well, it, it's entirely written in text messages. The entire story is text messages between these, these two yeah, <laughs> high school kids. And she thinks she's texting one of a set of twins instead of the other half of the twin or uh, cousins. Or, they have the same name. Okay. It's, so she. <laughs> that would be really unfortunate if you and your twin had the exact same. No, it, it's okay. Yeah. They're cousins. They're cousins. Yeah. And uh, they have the same, the same name. So. Okay. Sorry, I misspoke on that. <laughs> so the whole time she thinks she's talking to one guy when she's talking to another. Gotcha. So this is this dance around each other of like you started it. Like you technically you started it. You thought I was and so it took me so long to basically sh- by the time he figures out that she doesn't know who she's talking to, she has already said mean things about him because she has a poor first impression of him. Oh. So he's like, I really like her and I don't want to, I don't want to, I have to figure out how to change her impression of me before I can tell her that I'm the wrong one. Oh, that is so sweet so, though. Yeah. And I remember this was pretty early in John and I's marriage when when I read it and I was getting used to his work schedule and sometimes he has to work a 72 hour shift and so he had just gotten home from a 72 hour shift and I wasn't used to him being gone that long and so I just read the book all in one day while he was like asleep next to me on the bed and it was just a really like sweet memory I guess I love that (laughs) that's really special it is really (laughs) But it's a good. It's a cute book. It sounds really cute. I'm gonna have to check that one out. All right. So my number seven is The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. This is a good book. (laughs) This is a really good book. It's not. I don't know if it's uh, sold as a romance. It's sold as like a fantasy or a. I think it's sold as a fantasy romance. To be honest. Yeah, fantasy romance. I could see that. Um. So, the mystery of the book really drives this. So the circus just arrives without warning no announcement it's just boom there one day and it has all these black and white striped canvas tents that's kind of unique for a circus i think it's called the le cirque de rêve i i can't remember it's french so is it well yeah well yeah the (laughs) The night circus right (laughs) um but behind the scenes of this circus is this really intense competition between magicians So uh, Celia and Marco are two main characters who have been trained since childhood uh, by their instructors to basically be pitted against one another, Uh, essentially a duel to the death. But of course, you know, they have to fall in love with each other. And the way this is written is so beautifully magical, I can't even begin to describe it. Her way with words is so breathtaking. I just... You just have to read it. You just have to read it because their competition basically becomes love letters to one another. Oh my gosh, it is so beautiful and intensely passionate. Even though I'd say it's probably a two on the actual spice meter. Maybe not even a two, maybe a one. 
because nothing is graphically depicted, but oh my gosh, just the tension buildup and the magic in there is just, oh my gosh, it is so good. What were your takes on it, Abby? I agree completely. It's so atmospheric. Yes. And the magic system is fascinating. It's so cool. And you just... It's one of those books that just kind of grips you. Like, you just have... It's rich. It's rich. Yeah, it's rich. It it it, it, it gripped me. Yeah. I read it all in one sitting. I probably stayed up all night reading this book. And I've read it multiple times at this point. It is easily one of my favorite books. It's a shame that it's rated so low for the romance part of it. But the magic system is... Oh, it's so good. And the love is really sweet. Again, kind of another trap. I think at this point writers feel compelled to put gay or lesbian characters in their books. (sighs) It's hard to escape it, but you should know it's there. I don't know if it's marketed YA or not. I can't remember. I think it's one of those that bridges the gap. Yeah. I think it came out in about 2011 or 2010, something like that is about the time that I read it. And I was just getting into college. So like you said, kind of bridging that gap very good book yeah i was so excited when i heard another book by her was coming out and then i it was like it was a gay story i was like oh never mind that's the thing it's like oh my gosh i was beside myself my husband got it for me for christmas and i was so excited and i started reading it and i was like no (laughs) why why are you gay who says i'm gay you are gay we're so homophobic, you guys. We're so homophobic. Homophobic, racist, transphobic, and anti-woman. <laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> you know, I just want to I can't go- be homophobic. I have gay friends. I don't think it's being homophobic because I don't walk around and shriek in terror when I see a gay person. <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid of them. I, I just have standards <laughs> for what I want in a love story. It's, and that it's, goes back to my not, yeah it's not um one of the beautiful things about romance is it's this demonstration of the love between christ and the church right. and when you put the wrong genders in there it's not that story anymore it is something else and it's not it doesn't do the same thing in fact it twists right. that thing in your heart and it makes it a little bit messy and i i don't I don't like the feeling of it. Yeah. I I want that feel goodness from a love story. I don't want there to be this undertone of intentionally trying to break up my faith. You know, I'm not going to go out and seek out books that deal with dark magic or evil things. Uh, and that might be an extreme example, but by the same token, I would not also go out and seek out a book that portrays morality in a way that mm. I'm not comfortable with unless it is portraying that morality as a way of overcoming it. One of the mm. great things about romances is, is that people are overcoming a particular sin or a particular hurdle. And if you're presenting that sin as something that is good, and this is actually why I struggle with the premarital sex scenes in books. I know it's basically impossible to escape from because it is so permeated our culture. Yeah. And I think those gay and lesbian characters are trying to do the same thing that the premarital sex scenes have. Yeah. 
So going back to Maggie Steve Otter, I mentioned there was a series, the Raven Boy series has uh, a pair of gay uh, mm-hmm. guys in it. And I find that with, with that one, she writes characters you so deeply care about that it doesn't matter because like I relate to both of those boys so much with what they're going through in life and what they're they're dealing with. And so the story is so good and true in so many other ways that it's it's like, oh, well, okay, I don't agree with this thing and I can just I can just get past it. But so many authors, it's only there to shove it in your face. Mm-hmm. It's not some sort of true story that they're telling. And when I say true, I mean like pulling truth down out of the air. Right. I, I think that's a good point. If you're gonna write those characters you know, tell a good story. Don't let their sexuality be their entire personality. Mm -hmm. Their sexuality is not your personality. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great points all around. (laughs) All right. So what's your number seven? Uh, My number seven is a book called Edenbrook by Julianne Donaldson. Uh, Again, Spice Meter 1. I'm going to get spicier, I promise, but... um... I thought all of mine would be one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... This is my, we could have filled this list with Jane Austen novels, but you don't need us to tell That's you right. that Pride and Prejudice is good, you know? Right. But this is my recommendation. If you love Regency romances and you're scared to pick up anything of this modern era, Fair. Edenbrook <laughs> is the thing for you because it is just as sweet and just as wholesome. It's just a one. Um, and it, it's Regency era England uh, main character is Marianne and basically she wants an excuse to get away from Bath and from her all of the jonesing for a husband like trying to jostle for a husband (laughs) and her her sister is kind of in in the running to to marry the heir of Edenbrook so basically they both get sent off to Edenbrook and so Marianne just thinks she's going to have the summer to herself and uh, to to relax. And she ends up meeting a boy. And Aww. it's a book about assumptions where the entire time she's assuming he's a certain type of way and cataloging all his behavior as if he is this great big flirt who just treats all the girls like this. And because this is what she's been told. And so she just spend so much time chalking up all of his really like obvious pursuit up to just him being a flirt <laughs> and it's it's funny because he has his own set of assumptions about her and they just it's really sweet and wholesome and as the onlooker you're like just get together <laughs> and they're just dealing with their own things which is Aww. what love stories are and um, I loved it. But I have to put a trigger warning on this book. Um, there is in the climax of the book a um, kind of attempted rape type of thing oh, okay. with a um, evil character, not the main character. Um, it doesn't happen. Everybody's fine. But if that's something that really gets to you, maybe skip it or maybe just kind of go in knowing that everything's going to be fine. I love it. I love it. I'll have to check that one out. I love a good romance like that. Especially when there's there's no rape. Thank goodness. All right. So my number six is the classic The Princess Bride by William Goldman. 
also known as The Classic Tale of True Love and High Adventure. If you have never read or watched The Princess Bride, you are living a shallow and empty life. I don't know what is wrong with you. Inconceivable! Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> Abby's over here. I haven't done those things, damn it. No, I have a funny story, but you finish okay. your... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's it's just a fantastic epic adventure. It's a solid one. It might even be a zero. There's only a kissing scene. Since the invention of the kiss, there have been five kisses that were rated the most passionate, the most pure. This one left them all behind. It's like, it is so wholesome. Uh... It's basically Renaissance era world. A young woman named Buttercup lives on a farm and she kind of like verbally abuses the farmhand Wesley uh, by calling him like farm boy and bossing him around, you know, like very entitled young ladies do. <laughs> and he just always says, as you wish. As you wish. And eventually as they grow up together, she falls in love with him and he falls in love with her and he goes out to sea to seek his fortune so he can marry her and then she receives word that the dread pirate Roberts attacked his ship and killed him. So she's wallowing in her grief and decides to marry this very awful Prince Humperdinck. Uh, it's such a good tale. It is hilarious. Oh my gosh, I've never laughed so much reading a book in my whole life. A good thing too. What are you wearing a mask? I can't recommend it enough uh, and definitely go watch the movie. The movie is a very faithful adaption of the book. Very clean book. Very wholesome. Uh, I don't know if it's young adult or not. It could very easily be young adult, uh, but it's written at a level that is higher. Uh, so it doesn't feel like it's belittling the audience at all, which I really appreciate. So tell us your story. Okay. So I have been told that the movie was amazing. It is amazing. And I, I don't remember how old, maybe 14 mm -hmm. in that in that age. I watched it. The first time I watched it, I hated it. Hated it. Could not stand it. It just every everything hit wrong. I think I went in expecting something, mm. and it the the humor's weird. It it's That's very fair. it's very much its own thing. It's very unique. It's nothing you've seen before. Yeah. It, it was certainly nothing I'd seen before. And I did not have it. And it tasted wrong. It tasted wrong like something tastes wrong when you're expecting it to be sweet and it's savory instead, mm. or vice versa. So. Then my family wanted to watch it again later. And I was mm -hmm. like, I guess, I guess the, the sword fighting scenes were fun. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. So I'll, wa I'll watch for the sword fighting scenes. So I watched it the second time and I was like, oh, I guess I like it a little bit more. And then they wanted to watch it a third time. And the third time I started to like it. And now I love it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. It I'm so glad. Journey. It, I can appreciate that. Uh, there are some stories that I don't like at first and that I had to learn to appreciate. Like I actually hated Red Rising the first time I tried to read it. Yeah. The, 
the red slang was weird. The first person present tense I hated. Uh, and it was only because PJ convinced me that I read it again. And I was like, oh, I guess such this is a bully. Okay. He <laughs> is such a bully. <laughs> so I can appreciate that. I'm oh. glad you like it now, though. It is one of my favorite stories. It is one of those when I just need something fun and lighthearted, I come mm -hmm. back to. My husband got me a very special edition of the book, I think for our second year anniversary, that is filled with all of the art and is very beautifully illustrated. It's hands down one of my favorite books. So what is your number six? My number six is, I don't know why I did this to myself, <laughs> but it's book two in a series. <laughs> Hear me out. Okay. Is proper steampunk romance. Ooh, so okay. Not only is it steampunk, so picture Regency England, but like lots of clockwork and Tesla coils and all of like the weird alternate universe technology that we could have had maybe in the steampunk world. I'm here for it. But it's also fairy tale retellings. So <sighs> book it. one is Beauty and the Clockwork Beast, and I like. Mm. But my favorite of the series is book two, so that's why I pulled it. And you gotcha. can read them. It doesn't matter what order you read them in. They're, they're separate enough. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter. So the one I'm, I have on the list is Kiss of the Spindle, which is a Sleeping Beauty retelling. And uh, it's it's just like weird and steampunky. And I just like the flavor of it. Um, it's by Nan Allen. And I genuinely don't remember if it's a one or a two. It's one of those, the tension was so good mm. that it felt um, steamier. But I think it was only a one. Steamier. <laughs> Steampunk, yes. <laughs> I did there. That's probably the best pun you've ever done. Uh, totally. Um, but I only liked the first two books. I felt like the next two, she just, in the series, she just wrote like, conversations and then try to pretend that there was a plot it, uh -oh. it, was just weird. it was just weird i didn't i only recommend the first two, two books but you're not missing anything it's not like there's this big overarching plot that you have to worry about so that's kind of nice yeah that sounds cool oh i'll have to check that fun. out i love a good steampunky and steamy romance <laughs> all right so number five is another book we read together book lovers by emily henry I love this book so much. I connected to the main character a lot, uh, particularly because of her love of books. I mean, I have a whole podcast where I talk about books for hours. And so I love it. She loves books. Uh, hashtag mood. Uh, <laughs> she's not exactly your typical romance protagonist. She's not very plucky or dreamy. Uh, actually, uh, one of her clients spoiler alert, ends up writing her into a book as like an evil witch with a B, um, <laughs> which I think is such an interesting it's so development. Great. It's so great. I love Emily Henry's books because there's so much commentary on literature. In yes. Oh, we're, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. Um, and the warmest part of Nora's life is her best friend and sister, Libby, which I'm sure you appreciate. Aww. Aww. 
Um, and she's not the only icy character in this book. There's the male main character, Charlie Lastra, who's basically known as the toughest editor in the industry. Uh, this book is super fun. It does have a little bit of Hallmark syndrome. They go to a small town and they happen to bump into each other and it's the romance develops from there. I liked it. It was fun and quirky. I really like the underlying tension between Nora and her sister. Like, mm-hmm. it, I thought it was going to go one way. And it was totally Same. something else. Same. It was totally something else. <laughs> which, is, okay. which I was glad. Remind me, Nora's the character where she's like, all of her ex-boyfriends who have ever left her have left her in a Hallmark fashion. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> like, like, they moved to the small town to marry the love interest. Left behind the bitch of the city. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next book by Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, but one of my favorite things is the commentary on literature in this book. There's this whole joke. uh, (laughs) This might be a PG-13 warning for what I'm about to say. There's this whole joke about uh, interactions between men and women in romance books, which they then proceed to make fun of themselves by doing the same (laughs) thing. Remember that. That was so funny to me. Uh, so this book is really funny. It's also very sweet and genuine. Like most of these romance books, mm-hmm. they very much grow together uh, and develop through one another. I will say this is a, definitely a three for the skinny dipping scene. I don't know if it's a all the way to a four. Definitely the spiciest book on my thing. Okay. If not for the tension alone. The yes. tension is there. <laughs> <laughs> It was good. I could have put an Emily Henry book on my list too, but I was like, I know Jess is going to have at least one. There's only one left, which I'm reading now. <laughs> People we meet on vacation. Yep. She's got another one coming up pretty soon this year. To look forward to. So. so future episode. <laughs> future episode. All right. So what's your number five? My number five is I've Got Your Number by Sophie Kinsella. This is Apparently, I just like books where the two main characters text most of the story. <laughs> Probably because I really do connect with people over written text. This is this is my primary form of communication. I mean, I'm on Twitter. And You're a master of Twitter. This is how I this is how I connect with people. So, um, it really resonates with me when people fall in love in this fashion. But basically, this is one of those atypical romances where. The girl spends most of the story with somebody else. Um, but it's not a cheating story, which okay. I appreciate because I do not do not Mm-mm. like that. Do not like um, that at all. But basically, she finds this cell phone and the setup is is difficult to explain, but it's just basically she 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 finds a cell phone, starts texting the owner of the cell phone, um, and ends up... How do I even explain this? <laughs> there ends up being reasons why she has to keep texting him and keep in contact and ends up doing mm-hmm. some like work for him, helping him out with some stuff. Um, and she's got her own drama going on in her life because of the guy she's with and there's this whole dynamic with like should they be together why shouldn't they be together she has an instinct that maybe they shouldn't but she can't really put her finger on it she has 
she's engaged, but she's lost her engagement ring. So there's a lot of like trying mm. to find that. I think that's how she finds the cell phone, actually, because she's digging the trash can. To see <laughs> <laughs> an engagement ring. So it's this whole thing, but it's really sweet because they just genuinely form this connection. And they're both dealing with so much stuff in their own lives. And it's almost barely a romance novel mm. because... It, I think you would be disappointed. I, this is not to give spoilers, but I think you'd be disappointed if you went in thinking this is going to be focused on romance because they really only get together at the end. It's it's like one of those stories where when you finally get together, you're together. You don't have that like third act breakup scene. Right. It's just like friendship, 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 dealing with stuff and then... I might have given too much away, but I don't think so. It's really good. So much texting. I like it. I'm going to have to check that out because I also like books like that. I mean, I'm on Twitter all the time, too. So I really relate yeah. to that. I think I have I'm, to give it a two spice, not okay. for the two main characters, but for the girl and her fiance. Mm. Because there's just like stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're engaged. There's stuff. There's stuff. So, but I, that was, uh, I don't know. Sophie Kinsella just writes really good self-mocking books. They don't take themselves too seriously. All the main characters are just a little bit clumsy and like, socially clumsy. and They're just funny. Oh, I love that. I have to check that out. All right. So book number four. Uh, mine is Firefly Lane by Kristen Hanna. Have you ever read this book before? I haven't. I'm very interested. I think I've read another Kristen Hanna. Did she write... All the light you cannot see. She did. Okay. Um. So, like all the light you cannot see, this is a very intense book. Um, it is a slice of life novel, which I really appreciated. It's mostly the relationship between two young girls who grow up. It's a best friend book, and there's a romance in it that I appreciate and I think is very sweet. I will give a minor trigger warning. There is a rape scene in here it's not depicted but it is a trauma that is brought out that the two girls have to deal with they're not both but just just recognize that it's there so if you need to skip that chapter please skip it because it's not the focus of the book it's just a terrible terrible thing that happens unfortunately that does happen in the life of some young women yeah. and the way she deals with it I think is very powerful I will say this is both a uh real life funny but also very depressing book uh it has a little bit of nicholas sparks syndrome i'll just kind of Aww. leave it at that i know but it is so you're really not selling me on i know i'm sorry i'm not selling it but it is really good the story is well told and the nicholas sparks moment happens only at the very end um and maybe that gives away too much but i think it's worth it for the story alone um, and especially the love story between uh, one of the young ladies and the main guy, because it's not just a romance story. It's a marriage story, which I really appreciated Aww. because uh, towards the beginning, there's this insecurity that the main guy actually likes the best friend and not her. And the, 
she deals with that insecurity for a very long time. And he just constantly, through war, through marriage, through death, through so much, he's proving over and over to her how much he loves her and what a great father he is. And I just think that is such a powerful and much needed story uh, in today's culture. There's so few marriage stories out there. It's typically like, oh, they get together, they get married, the end. The end, yeah. But, but it doesn't end there. It basically tracks these two best friends from eighth grade till they're in their mid 40s. It is a life story and it is beautiful Aww. and heartbreaking and it's it's real life. And I think that's why it was so special to me and why I rank it so high because it's, it's like a precious stone, you know? Uh, it's something you treasure. It took a lot of work to get there. Um, and I don't know. I just really appreciated the book a lot. Now, I haven't read the sequel to this. I've heard that the sequel to this is even more depressing, so I'm probably not going to touch it. I, I think the book stands alone. I don't think it needed a sequel, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I, I really do recommend it. Just recognize if those kind of real life stories are challenging. That's what it is. It's not a popcorn book, but I think it's a very beautiful book. Mm. On, on the spice scale, I'd probably give it a one. Um, okay. Uh, they're maybe married. They get married. You know, yeah. and it's a, it's a, maybe a soft two because of the tension between the husband and wife. There's some nice, you know, marriage tension. You know, you still have that tension when you're married. I don't know why people don't talk about it. You know, there is that love tension there still. Uh, you know, if you're <laughs> being married, right? <laughs> Say it like that. I really thought. Everybody. Okay. Are you done talking about that book? I don't want yes, to. Yes, I'm done. Okay. No, you're good. I really believed that it was like over once you got married. And I got married anyway. Like, but it was mostly a decision of, okay, assuming it's going to be over once we get married, is everything else in place? Like, is this a person I can build a life with? Do we have the same vision for our life? Is this a person I can picture being a good dad? Um, do I think it's going to be pleasant? You know, does he have good health insurance? <laughs> You know, all the all the important questions. Right. And then it was so much easier. Like, everybody was yes. telling me marriage was going to be so hard. It was going to be so hard. And I'm only four years in, so I'm sure it's got, it's, there's time for it to get worse, right? But it's just been such a breeze of, like, of course we have fights, but just nothing like what I thought. And, like, you, like, the tension didn't mm -hmm. go, and the... The love is just better. Just it's a different I think it's difficult to explain to people who have never been there what what the difference is between the infatuation stage and the love stage. And I think when you're trying to describe it to people, it always sounds worse. You're like, infatuation goes away and then you get whatever that is you're talking about gross. <laughs> I, I think that's a really important point. So my husband and I have been married eight years, and you're right. There are times when you fight and there are times when things are hard, but you very much grow together. I feel so much more open and comfortable with the love that we share 
than I ever did when we were dating or when we first got married. It's just gotten deeper and more special. He is the person I rely upon the most. He's my best friend. Uh, There's so much more to a marriage than well, I guess we're married now. Uh, I guess we'll have kids. You make dinner, honey. Like what? whatever that weird depiction is in our culture that shows marriage as being sort of empty and boring. It's not that unless you got married to the wrong person or something. I don't know. When you find someone who shares those moral foundations with you, who shares a vision of life with you, it is very special and very deep and deeply intimate. Yeah. So what's your number four? Okay. <laughs> I saved the best for number four. <laughs> the best for number four. Never heard that before. Um, I just realized I organized these by spice level, not by <laughs> preference <laughs> level. I actually don't have favorites. Like everything I put on this list, I recommend just as highly. I think... Um, and you can see how I talk about it because I like them for different reasons. Like steampunk romance is not the same as Regency romance. It's not the same as fantasy romance. So I definitely just organize them by spice. <laughs> I like it. Um, this is The Host by Stephanie Meyer. And you might recognize that name because she wrote uh, <laughs> The Vampire Diaries. That's not That's not, that's right. not it. Um, Twilight. She wrote that's the Twilight good. series. Um, I think The Host is so much better. So the host is a dystopian post-apocalyptic story about, and it's it's on the line between YA and an adult. I I want to shelve it in adult because the world is such that everyone is grown up. Everyone's yeah. completely grown up. There's you don't have teenage angst. You have angst, right. but it's not teenage. It's <laughs> angst for a different reason. So the setup is that the world has been conquered by aliens and it happened very slowly. And these aliens have just um, assimilated um, their parasitic. So they go into the base of your skull and they take over your brain and they just make you a perfect person. And they just live in your body and they make you a perfect person because they are a perfect race. And basically these aliens have been colonizing planets forever and they did not realize that humans were sentient. So they're not evil. Right. They just, um, they're actually perfect. <laughs> they're wonderful. Right. They mean to have these symbiotic relationships and make planets better and make their lives better. And they didn't realize what it was about humanity and the free will of humanity. It, it's a book about free will. It's a book about how free will makes us human, which is fascinating from right. like a biblical perspective of like, why didn't God make us perfect puppets who did everything right? Why did he give us the choice to do evil? What is the value of being able to do evil? It's because it, having the choice to do that makes us human and it's, it's something special. So you have this setup where the main character, Melanie, gets taken by the aliens and this alien named Wanda is inserted into her but she doesn't go away so you have two main characters living in the same body which is fun because you have all of their conversations and their the friendship they develop that's like enemies to friends with it. them the the we need a word for the female version of bromance it's more than friendship it's like it is more than friendship sisterhood I guess I yeah guess. I, I think it's that's the best way to describe it um so 
basically Melanie convinces Wanda that everything is wrong and that they have to go and find Melanie's family that she had been taken from. And so they go and they find this commune of people where Melanie's um, boyfriend, they're, they're very committed. They're not married, but they're like very committed. They feel like a married couple and they interact like a married couple. Um, her, her man is her brother. And it's this like heart-wrenching thing where she comes back wearing Melanie's face and Melanie's in there, but she doesn't have control. And they can tell based on her eyes that she's not right. Melanie. And so it's this whole thing of trying to convince them that she's still in there and that Wanda isn't evil and not to treat her like an enemy and to try to help her solve the problem of them both being awake in the head. Because usually humans don't stay awake in in the head and it's because melanie is such a fighter and had such a reason to stay um, for her brother and for her man that that she's even hanging on to consciousness in in wanda's head so you have this silly stephanie meyer style romance where you have jared and melanie are a love interest couple but then you have wanda and Ian, <laughs> right? Because Ian falls for Wanda, and Ian is part of this commune. Right. He doesn't. He's not into Melanie. He's into Wanda. Right. <laughs> and just the complexities of this, like, and I loved how it was a story about how romance isn't just about bodies. Yeah. Because it's Melanie's body, but it's Ian's attracted to Wanda. Right. And um, Jared is not attracted to Wanda. He's really bad that Wanda has Melanie's body. So it's, I think it's so much better. It's like that deliciously angsty story that I loved when I was in high school. And then when the pandemic started, I made a list of books that were like claustrophobic and like, cause they live in this, the communism right. cave system. And kind of dystopian. And I just read a lot of those types of books during that time. And this, I read it again then. It, it held up. It held up. So um, I think it's about a yeah. two spice level because of Jared and Melanie being basically married. Um, but yeah, I do recommend it. It's a little silly, but it's good. It's not silly. I, I genuinely liked that book. Uh, I can't remember how long it came out after Twilight, but so much of Twilight made me very uncomfortable. I was so surprised when she wrote this book that is actually very good and deals with very important questions. Uh, it didn't have a vampire or a werewolf or something like that. Um, I think you're right. The question of free will is one of the things that makes it the most interesting uh, and very surprising to come from uh, Stephanie Meyer. Definitely recommend Stephanie's is Mormon. We we have her chalked up as this because she introduced vampires into the world and they're so evil and demonic. But right. she actually does write these strong Christian themes into her story. Like even Breaking Dawn is one of the most profoundly pro-life books I've ever read um, in the mainstream. Um, it's like life of the mother is at stake and she still won't kill her child. Like... That's <laughs> that is as pro-life as you can get if your baby's ripping itself out of your womb. 
Yep. Like, spoiler, spoiler alert. Vampire babies. <laughs> Vampire babies. <laughs> but um, I, the other thing is that Stephanie Meyer writes gentlemen. She writes yeah. unapologetic gentlemen. She writes the kind of men she wants her sons to be. And I appreciate that about her. So that's her. I like that. Uh, so my number three is, I think it's YA. I think you would classify it as YA. It might straddle that line uh, between YA and adult. And it is The Last Summer of You and Me by Anne Brashears, who is most famously known for The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Um, but I actually like a lot of her more mature works a lot more. She was my first introduction to romance at all through the sisterhood of the traveling pants um even though the primary focus of those books is friendship and the same thing is true of the last summer of you and me um so it's two sisters riley and alice who are now in their 20s uh, and they're as different as different could be but they spend every summer at their parents beach house and as they grow up that you know you start dealing with some of that teen angst that uh life angst and they start to have uh, interest in their lifelong friend and neighbor, Paul. So there's a lot of that romantic tension there. Um, there's increasing complexities of their lives and friendships and lots of secrets underneath all of that. Um, it was a book I really enjoyed. It has been a long time since I've read it. I remember really enjoying it when I read it. Uh, I can't remember if it is a one or a two. Uh, she's not a very spicy writer, so it, it might be closer to a one, but I'll err on the side of the two, just in case I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I might as well. <laughs> right. Have you ever read that book, Abby? I don't think so. It, it's to. it's really good. I, I really liked it. The The undertones of the book with the deep secrets that are all, all three main characters have to deal with and confront yeah. is really good. You'll notice as we get higher on my list, we get more of those real life, uh, yeah. really tangible books. Aww. And those are the kinds that I have always connected to the most, uh, which I guess is why I had the stigma for a long time. Like you said, that romances were kind of vapid and fluffy yeah. and that actually reading romances with you have, has really opened my eyes to that's not Aww. true at all. Uh, and so I've enjoyed a lot of the books that we've got to find together. the right ones. You can't That's read right. Fifty Shades of Grey or Nicholas Sparks or Colleen Hoover or any of like the overhyped ones. Because like what what I think there are plenty of people who like romance for the wrong reasons or and who are going to promote books that absolutely like fit the stereotype. Right. You have to find the right ones. I Listen totally to agree us. with that. <laughs> that's right listen to Liz so yeah, what's your I, numbers oh, oh sorry I, re I watched Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and I loved mm. it but I don't think I've read anything by her oh okay that's I have her on here twice <laughs> she's really good my number three <laughs> Things You Save in a Fire by Catherine Center so I really like Catherine Center um, you already had her on the list mm -hmm. I had a feeling you would but I had to put this on anyway because it is about a firefighter and my husband's a firefighter so it i'm sorry i just picked this book up today so i'm very excited to read it um all right so i gotta yeah i gotta get too excited about it so first of all i can't remember if it's a if it's a two or a three there is a sex scene but it's not i think it's only it 
I think it's just fade to black. I think it's just Uh, two. Bodyguard was fade to black, so. Yeah. I just don't pay attention. Like, that's... Yeah. (laughs) You'll notice we're not very good at the writing of the spice. I just skimmed through the the spicy scenes, you guys. (laughs) Notice, that's not what we're reading romance for. Um, I mean, if I get a good idea, I will absolutely run with it, but (laughs) that's about it. And so if, if anything, my husband is thankful that I read romance novels and that's all I have to say about that. So conservative christians we had right. uh, I, I say that's all i have to say about that that i continue as conservative <laughs> christians we have like woefully terrible sex education yeah it's it's like this is evil right up until you have to be a goddess on your wedding night like on your it's wedding just, night is zero to Ugh. 60 it has to be the like it, like it's it takes practice there is you There's know, a lot there, going on. You know, there are things in life that are skills. That is a skill That's... that requires practice. <laughs> Not saying there should be practice outside the realm of marriage. Correct. Notice we said earlier that marriage gets better the longer you've been married. There's a reason yeah. for that. <laughs> I think it it is such a disservice to kids to pretend that their wedding night's going to be the best sex of their yeah. lives. It's it's going to be the worst sex of your life because you're the worst at it. Right. Duh. Duh. Especially if you're a virgin. Yeah. Why? Why would we tell people? Because then kids, girls in particular, get to their wedding night. It hurts so much. So much more than you could imagine. And then for me, it continued to hurt for like a month. It was so bad. I relate to that a lot. (laughs) And No um, one talks about that. No one talks about that. And you just have to work at it and have right. faith that it's going to get better. And telling kids, wait till your wedding night's going to be amazing. Like, if you set them up for that, they're going to think it's never going to get better than this. Right. And so I think that because we are scared of kids going off and having premarital sex, if we talk too nicely about it, um, we don't say the things that we need to say to... We don't say this is such a special, it is such a vulnerable, scary thing to to be naked with somebody that it is such a cruelty to say, I have seen all of you and now I'm going to reject you. I've seen everything you have to offer. I've had everything you have to offer and I'm going to reject you. That's such a cruelty that God was like, don't do that to people. Right. Don't do that to people. And we never talk about it like that. It's always like, this is a special thing for only married people. That is a huge problem I have. So on the one hand, our whole culture is like sex and everything, you know, sex on TV, so, you know, sex and oh, it's, it's too much. It's too much. And then on the opposite hand, you have like the childhood you and I had uh, where it was never talked about. It was very much taboo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't even mention it. And it's this dirty thing you do behind closed doors with your husband you know there's a happy medium in there there is a like you were said you're in this very vulnerable position with your other half the other half of not just like your physical body but your spiritual 
body. And that's what it means for two people to become one flesh. You know, it's not just the physical action, but it is the spiritual action too. And I think we forget so often that it is a spiritual action, which is why uh, when bad things like sexual assault happen are so, so terrible. It's not just the physical thing that is terrible. It is the spiritual aspect that is terrible. And for both our culture and uh, Christian culture to not acknowledge those things is a gross misunderstanding of what it means to be in a loving relationship. And I think as Christian conservatives moving forward, we need to better equip young men and women to enter into those relationships, knowing exactly what they're getting into, Mm -hmm. not giving their bodies up for simple things just because you want to stay boyfriend, girlfriend, but also not having these outrageous expectations for the second you get married, realizing it's something you have to build together rather than it just being perfect the second it happens. We should have, I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode on purity culture yes, and like the good and the bad and the ugly. I would love to do that with you because I have so many opinions, but that would be awesome. Basically I have found, I found in my first months of marriage that the thing that helped more than anything else was steamy romance novels because that's what I needed to it was because it was so painful and I didn't know why and I didn't know what to do and so I was reading these books I'm like just tell me just tell me a good story and tell me what to do (laughs) because who am I gonna who am I gonna what am I gonna google it like I don't want to see whatever google's gonna show me and so I'm glad you read those books instead of googling it like I did (laughs) the stakes were made Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to probably the book that has done the most for my marriage um, in a bit. I think it's my I think it's my number 10, actually. I, maybe I did put these in the right order after all. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. What if, what has happened? Okay. Things you save in a fire. So this is only a yes. two. Don't get too excited, everybody. The woman is a firefighter. Um. Catherine Center does a good job about putting a woman in a male situation, male role, like with the bodyguard and right. still keeping her feminine. I love that. And I love that romance novels, if the romance is going to work correctly and you're going to talk about some sort of feminist type theme, you ha- you are forced to talk about it in a way that's not hateful to men and that is more true. And so you can talk about some of these issues like in this one, we have issues of sexual assault. So she, the setup for the book, Trigger Warning, um, is that she has an incident at the job she's in and basically she has to leave the job she's in to get out of that situation and goes to this podunk town um, where they have never had a female firefighter and so um, she's struggling to prove herself and it's tough in the fire service it's in this I'm not going to say that women shouldn't be firefighters I don't I don't think that but it is one of those services where you have to rise to a really high level of physical fitness and ability to put your emotions out. And I think most women cannot do that. I know that I cannot. Um, but she she's good. She's she's good. And it talks, I think, well about how she's careful to not accept special treatment or ask for special treatment because that would be wrong and that would make her not respectable. So this whole theme is talked about so well. And firehouse shenanigans and dealing with people not liking you in your job and dealing with people having assumptions about you that you 
you, you can't change how people think, but you can control how you live and you just have to set an example and let them figure it out. And um, a lot of those like raw edges, like you talked about with Emily Henry and this really sweet other firefighter that she meets and um, a lot of laughter. I found myself laughing okay. a lot as I read it and understanding my husband's job better and just really enjoying the whole journey of it because it, this juxtaposition between the really dark things she was dealing with and working through and the laughter and the funny stuff and then the misogyny which misogyny exists it happens yeah. because and i think that sometimes conservative well okay conservatives are so set on just being the opposite of whatever the left is that we forget to actually find the truth in a situation and the truth is that men and women are different and if you believe that men and women are different then you kind it follows that there are going to be some unique ways that men can be awful and some unique ways that women can be awful and some unique ways that men can be awful to women and some unique ways that women can be awful to men and so you see that kind of playing out in this story um it's so sweet i love it i love that she's not super hot either and he's not super hot like they're just like mundane i appreciate people. that i really appreciate that i'm so excited to read it now <laughs> hashtag real expectations or something <laughs> thank you that's what i need in life hashtag real expectations <laughs> now i need someone to go out there and write a romance novel about truckers truckers <laughs> yeah i gotta see if i if i find one i'll let you know yes Okay. I feel like I can find one. Because <laughs> you got your fire fireman book. I need my trucker man book. <laughs> I I right. have one. I have one where there's a lot of driving, but he's not technically a trucker. I think there's just it's like a cidery. Mm. I, I'll I'll shoot it over to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right, so number two, we're getting there. All right, my number two is another Anne Brashear's book. Uh, and this one, it had a really has a very interesting premise. So it's called My Name is Memory. And it's the idea that there's reincarnation in this book, which, you know, I'm I'm Christian. I don't support the idea of reincarnation, but the way it is presented, I think is very interesting. So there is this man who retains the memories from all his reincarnations. Most people don't, uh, but he can remember all the way back. So uh, he remembers his for original name his name was Daniel and he's basically spends all of time chasing this one woman who he fell in love with in his first life and I think that pursuit of love is a very beautiful story the idea that it takes place throughout all of time of course I'm not going to support the reincarnation aspect but I think the way it is told and the way the love is written is very sweet and genuine um and there are consequences to this, of course, too, because if he does certain things in a particular life, there are consequences into that future life, uh, which, again, you don't have to take the reincarnation aspect, just that if you do bad things, there are consequences, which are uh, culture does not talk about. What? what? Oh, my gosh. You're telling me this for the first time. <laughs> wow, you didn't know that? If you do bad things, bad things happen and your life touches other people oh my gosh
So if you do bad things to other people, bad things happen to them. Which is why, okay, reincarnation is like what, Buddhist or Hindu or both? Something like that. Kind of, I, don't know. I think it's Hindu. Okay. I think it's like this way of being secretly atheistic, but also mm-hmm. having a worldview in which what you do matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not like it has a lot of spirituality or religiousness in this book. It's just the idea that what you do matters and that he's basically chasing this woman throughout all of time. And there is a genuine villain in this book, too, who is also chasing this woman throughout all of time through through very nefarious means. So it's not only that he the main guy wants to be with the girl who he's been in love with. Is that he's trying to protect her from this villainous guy who also has the same memory, which I think creates a lot of really what? intense drama. I know. I have to read this. It's on my list because you put it on your like 12 books to read for the year or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to have to do an episode about that. <laughs> oh, yes. It's intense. And you know what? I'm not going to say anything because you're going to read it. <laughs> no spoilers. Uh, I think it's. I can't remember. Uh, I want to say it too. It's okay. not primarily. It is a romance in the pursuit and that he loves her and that he wants to protect her. Mm-hmm. But the actual spicy scenes are very few. So like you were saying earlier about that one book, if you're expecting it to be like a, a book that is primarily about their developing relationship, it's not necessarily that. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of that journey... It's the journey, not the destination. Sometimes I think when you get together with somebody, the journey is with that person. And sometimes it's the journey like with yourself to get to a point where you're ready for that person. For me and John, that was that. Like Mm -hmm. he had his journey to get ready for me and I had my journey to get ready for him. But once we were together, it was really easy. That makes sense. That makes sense. So far. (laughs) People always remind me, you're only four years in. You can't speak on this. I'm sorry that we're happy. <laughs> I'm so I, sorry. I hate that. It's like marriage has just gotten better every 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 single yeah. year. Why you do know? you have to shit on it? Like, yeah, well, that's because they're miserable. You know. <laughs> yeah, they're like they feel like they have to warn you you're going to be miserable so you don't leave your partner when you get miserable. And it's like don't do that to me. Right? Like, don't prophesy unhappiness over my marriage. I know. That I made a promise. But you don't need to tell me it's going to get bad to keep to get me to keep my promise. Right? Why would I accept that? That's a messed up way to convince someone to keep a promise, just FYI. <laughs> don't let it be miserable. Don't right. do that. That's how you lose your marriage. Choose to live for the other person and not yourself. People know how to do that anymore. Yeah. It's just all this, like, I love you because of how you make me feel, which is the stupidest reason to love somebody I've ever heard. It's gross and self-centered and not the point of marriage. Just go F yourself. Like, right? if that's what you want, do that. Right. (laughs) Don't bring somebody else into the mix just to break their heart. Gosh. Right? Anyway, moving (laughs) on. Is it your turn or mine? Your turn. I just did my number two. Okay. Number two is the Winston Brothers, another series, because I can't help myself. One of the things I love about the romance genre is that it is so series-based, but they are 
generally you don't have to read them in a series, but what happens is an author will create a group of people with relationships that are really strong and then introduce you to a side character in one book who then becomes the lead in the next book. And I just, I, I love, love the that. progression of it. So Penny Reed does this really, really well and almost all her series link together in some way. And I've loved all of them, but the Winston Brothers series is about the Winston Brothers, this very large family of mostly boys and one girl. And they, their father is, um, they had the kind of a, their parents were divorced. Their mother was a sweetheart. She died of cancer. Um, and their father is in the Iron Wraiths, which is this motorcycle gang. And so you have this small town setting, but you have all this motorcycle gang violence going on. And so the overarching plot of the series is dealing with their father and with the motorcycle gang in the small town and everything that it touches and all the ways that this gang has poisoned the town and the crime. And so it's got this like seedy underbelly of a plot that I enjoy, but the romance is so it's, it's spicy. This is, uh, this is a, a home run of spice, if you will. Um, I, I find that the way that Penny, cause she's not a Christian, the way that Penny Reed writes sex, even though it is explicit is as wholesome as it gets. She doesn't see it as sinful and she just presents it as a beautiful thing that it is. She doesn't quite get it right as far as like needing to put it inside marriage and all of that stuff, but everything else is in place. It's still presented as this lovely, beautiful thing, which I appreciate. Um, I love her, her relationships. I love her plot lines. Penny Reed does a lot with, with mental health, with mm -hmm. these, like she writes, well, the first, the first book in the series is truth or beard it's all it all the guys have beards and all of the books are so like they're all matt walsh yeah they're all matt walsh because of my beard i have been i have been told that i look like a hobo a yeti an unemployed lumberjack a desert island castaway um i've been called unkempt and disheveled and this is just my wife talking okay you can only imagine what everyone else says so i stand in solidarity with my fellow bearded Daily Wire host, and I stand firmly against follicle discrimination. Um, and in an act of protest, I will be growing my beard even longer. I will grow it until it is down to my knees or until such a time as when my wife's complaints are growing too loud, uh, whichever comes first. Um, <laughs> and, but the various characters in the, in the series deal with like OCD or um, like pretty significant trauma. One of them is one of the brothers is definitely a little bit autistic and he's the best. He's the Aww. best character in the whole thing because he's so unique and so unapologetic and he's the comic relief of everything. And his, his story is probably my favorite, but I wouldn't read the series out of order. So that's why mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't make his, his story, the one that I did, but um, a lot of pain in this town uh, and a lot of just Basically, the series is just a story about fixing this whole town and like I love that. rooting out the evil and and binding up so many of these little wounds that have taken place because of the Iron Wraiths over the years and all of these love stories coming together. I really enjoy it. So I find that after the Knitting in the City series, which pre is predates 
the Winston Brothers series. And then the Winston Brothers series, Penny Reed starts to get a little bit more woke. She's not terrible. I still enjoy her books, but I find it gets a little bit annoying. She inserts stuff. But like these are like the pure stuff that I really enjoy. So I'll have yep. to check those out. Because I, yep. I come from a small town. So small yeah. town stories really appeal to me. Yeah. I love it. So do we have any honorable mentions or do we want to talk about our OTP before we get into our... Our final one? Our final one. I, whatever order you want to do, I, I'm happy to put off our number ones. <laughs> um, so uh, we can go ahead and mention our OTP. So if, for those of you who don't know, OTP stands for one true pairing. So it's like the love story that you love the most. Uh, that's my understanding of it, basically. What's yours? What's my OTP? Yes. Okay. So, coincidentally, if anyone has heard the story of who radicalized me, it's also the author <laughs> of this series. So, it's the Gallagher Girls series by Allie Carter. It's this YA series about a boarding school for spies, spy girls. It's an all-girls school for spies. And it's so funny. I love Allie Carter. Um, she ended up being really mean to Trump supporters on Twitter and I ended up having this whole conversation with her that totally oh, no. radicalized me but she I love this series I grew up on and I read it so many times and it was I think the first romance heavy book that I read so the mm. first book in the series is called wait for it I'd tell you I love you but then I'd have to kill you Oh, I love that. I swear I've heard of this book before. I I love I love this series. And I, I still love Allie. Um, I had some good conversations with her after the fact in DMs. And I oh, get good. where she's coming from. I, she just believes MSM. And if you believe MSM, right. then of course Trump's a villain. <laughs> right. It's and, unfortunate. Yeah. And she's a big fan of the spy agencies from a like story standpoint. So of course she's gonna side with the CIA and the FBI when they say Trump is crappy. Anyway, That's I have <laughs> I'm not selling this series very well. Cammy is at the beginning of the series 16 years old. She has lost her father in spy work. He he basically never came home after a mission. Her mom is the headmistress of the school, and she's grown up in the school. And this. The, she knows all of the secret passageways. She just, she's lived in this place forever. Um, and it's kind of this coming of age story where she's like trying to come into her own. She's always known what she wanted to be, but she has this pain in her life of her father and, and this unsolved mystery of like what happened to him and growing up and being groomed into this career of, you know, going into the same field that he, he died in. And, um, it's so sweet and so heavily nostalgic, and there's so many poignant moments throughout. The first book, the love story, is with a different guy than she's meant to be with. So my one true pairing, she doesn't meet him until the second book. Mm. But spoilers, his name is Zach, and he's from a boys spy school Ooh. <laughs> where they do an exchange program. This is how she meets him. So spy girl, spy boy. I love I'm not that. selling this well. I have loved these two since I was like 16 years old. I've read it like four or five times now. It, it holds up. It's funny. It's sweet. Um, her mom, her relationship with her mom is just 
in her relationship with her male, one of her male teachers named Joe Solomon, who comes in in the first book, knew her father and kind of just steps into this fatherhood role for her. So you see this like found family thing with somebody who recognizes that she needs she needs that um, and loved her father. And uh, oh, there's so much there. But I love Cammy and Zach because just the banter is, is fantastic and they just grow together and there's a lot of mystery there. You're like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? What's going what's gonna to happen? I love that. That's so sweet. And that you've had that story for so long. I hate that the author was like a bully on Twitter, but you know, we can separate the art from the author here. We can. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Um, so my OTP basically changes every time I read a new book. <laughs> uh, I was going to try and hearken back to a book that I read a long time ago. So uh, I would have talked about The Fault in Our Stars. But I can't actually remember the guy's name for some reason. I remember Hazel. Uh, and I think his name was, I want to say Gus, but I'm wrong. Oh, it's Gus. Yeah, it is. It is it's Gus. Augustus. Oh, okay. Gus. Augustus. Okay. That's right. I was thinking of the Emily Henry book. That's why. I was, but I was going to talk about the Emily Henry book I'm reading right now. Because Poppy and Alex are driving me nuts. Get yes. together already. Yes. Pissing me off. So this is people we meet on vacation, and it is so good. It is so funny. Like every Emily Henry book that I've read so far, I've only read two, um, but it's so good. I love that Poppy just wants to go and travel and do all of these wonderful things. I feel that deep in my soul. I love to travel. I love to go and do things. But I also uh, relate to Alex a lot, who just wants to sit at home and read, and he's a high school teacher. Uh, so. I just relate to both of them a lot and they're best friends. They've been best friends since college and they won't get together. Damn it. <laughs> I love Emily Henry's guys. men because yes. they like John. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Henry's men are the guys I, I thought I would marry. And then I married a trucker <laughs> who is also a gamer. And I love my husband so much. And he's broken the mold of everything that I had ever expected. Uh, but I still love to go to Emily Henry's books and, you know, have fun with her stories and her characters. That's funny because in demeanor, they're like mm -hmm. John in that he's he's very quiet. He will kind of fade to the back of a room. Um, I guess in demeanor, it's the same. Yeah. That, yeah. That's but like probably the nerdiness, like the nerdiness I is not there. <laughs> jocks all around <laughs> we married a bunch of jocks <laughs> how did that I, happen i love how we're like the nerdiest girls that exist and somehow with, <laughs> right like despite our best intentions we accidentally like married the football players <laughs> <laughs> right all right so number one who is your number one abby wait my number one do you want to do your number one or do you want me to do my number one I'll, I'll, I can't, I'll do it. I'll do it. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I just wasn't expecting this honor. <laughs> okay. Bringing, it's called bringing down the Duke, which is already I also just got sounds as spicy as it is because this is another home run of peppers. Um, <laughs> this is probably the, <sighs> okay. Regency, Regency story. 
I, this is another author I've gotten a chance to interact with on, on Twitter, and she gave me an advanced reader copy of her second book, which was so fun. Um, but another book I read, Early Marriage, that was so helpful in the um, bylaw, <laughs> biology <laughs> department. <laughs> there is no romance novel my husband's more thankful for in the world. <laughs> And um, Evie Dunmore is, is the author, and it's this Regency story. It's set, I think, a little bit after Regency, to be honest. It's set in the women's suffrage movement in England. And this is, I kind of brought this up earlier, of a book that kind of deals with some of the feminist themes that are right. Like, actual, sometimes feminists get things right. Some of the well. roots of what they want to talk about are real. Like, men shouldn't mistreat women. Men shouldn't use their power to... Because men are stronger than women. What? I didn't know we could say that. Wow. Yeah. And there was once a time when women couldn't vote. Anyway, so this was, this was a time when women couldn't vote. And it, they're, they're working on the suffrage movement. And so she is in this position where she doesn't think very highly of men. She's in this movement where she's fighting for this. And she meets this duke who's kind of an asshole. And... And it's so spicy. The the tension is so tense. <laughs> she ends so up having to, to having to stay in his house, like Pride and Prejudice style. Oh wow! And um, just their interaction of understanding each other and getting past like these initial. I think you're a crappy person, right. and and getting a chance to care about each other the other complicating factor is he's this he's aristocracy and she is not somebody he should marry because she's a blue stocking hmm. um and the process of him deciding whether or not that matters to him um so kind of this bucking societal convention thing because sometimes societal conventions are crappy just because something <sighs> is a convention doesn't mean we have to conserve it we only need to conserve the good ones and then the good ones we need to conserve Weird how that works. Conservatism. Chesterton's fence does need to come down. Yes. Conservatism by itself, divorced from morality, is only going to conserve whatever is there. And because we are sinful human beings, sometimes what is there is wrong. <laughs> sometimes we have to be careful. Right. But I really appreciated it in its kind of discussion of, of everything, dynamics between men and women. Her softening, him softening, because they both have to really soften toward the other gender to accept any type of love story. And um, like I said, the biology was very helpful for me. And <laughs> um, I've read it. Tw I've read it twice. It's 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 one of my favorites, possibly my favorite romance novel that that exists. Wow, possibly. Of, well, I'm obviously. very excited to read it. Yeah. yeah. Book two is good too. I've only read it once, but I want to read it again. And then book three fell off. Book three was uh, like starting to be an, an apologetic for communism. And I was like, no, oof. we're not going. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Disagree Yeet. with the politics here, sweetheart. <laughs> but yeah, book one and two were <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. Sometimes I don't know how to talk about because romance stories tend to be simple. The plots tend to be simple. Right. So it's difficult to kind of talk about them without spoiling important yeah. things. But 
the interaction between classes, the interac interaction between men and women, and the admission that men and women are different, I think was really, really good. I like that. I'm very excited to read it. Uh, so number one for me is one that I've already talked about. You can check out this video right here to see my uh, little short about it, but it is Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. So I I'm just going to be honest. I don't usually like Christian romance. Uh, they can mm -hmm. fall into one of two categories. They're either kind of vapid and shallow story-wise because they're yeah. trying too hard to push a narrative, which I'm all here for the Christian message. Don't get me wrong. But I want a good story, damn it. <laughs> and the other problem is they could be focusing on the story that they will compromise the Christian message in a way that is disingenuous. So I, th I think both are wrong, but I think Francine Rivers gets it right. I've read two books by her. The masterpiece was also good, but I liked Redeeming Love more. So this is basically set in 1850s California gold country, um, a time when people were digging for gold and women had to do what they had to do to get by. And so trigger warning, a big trigger warning, our uh, main character Angel was sold as a child. And okay. that is that is very sad, very tragic. None of it is depicted. I I'm just going to okay. clarify that. But when we truly meet her again she has grown up as a prostitute unfortunately okay. in this setting and then this young man comes along and he is compelled and called by god to marry her and he's oh. saying like no no god i don't want to do it she's a prostitute how could you call me to do this god and god's not god's not leaving him alone so michael jose is his name he goes it's, it's a hosea retelling it's a hosea ah! retelling it's hosea and gomer which is why i love it so much okay. it is a literally a retelling of hosea and she does it all she runs away from him but the marriage that grows between them is so tender and so Aww. beautiful and you can see god's fingerprints all over this story and as she slowly comes to faith, I don't want to spoil it. It is beautiful. The discussion of infertility really touched me in a powerful way, oh. uh, personally. So I, I can't recommend this book enough. I'm going to cry just talking about it. Uh, I've read this book like three or four times. It is by far one of my favorite romances. It is just that powerful. Uh, in the audiobook version, there's a note from the author about her talking about how she wrote it and her experience writing it is also very emotional and powerful because she deals with such heavy subjects like what happened to Angel when she was a young child. And guys, I can't recommend it enough. It is so good. So please, please, please go check out Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. I know they made a movie. I haven't seen it, so I can't okay. comment on how it compares to the book, but the book is just beautiful. You sold me. So Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to overhype it because I don't want it to live not live up, you know, because sometimes you'll read a book having expectations of an overhype, and I don't want to overhype it. But it was given to me in a very tender time in my life. Uh and it's left a huge impact. And so I, I really can't recommend it enough. I'm it's so one glad of the to hear that. Because Christian romance, I think you might have gotten through this list and thought, why are these Christian women recommending all of these not Christian romance novels right. with their stupid spiceometer? <laughs> um, it's because I find that most Christian romance is more immoral yeah. at a lower spice level than books that just straight up do it all. 
because when you believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong, but you write a story where you design your situation such that your characters are just accidentally have to, oh, oh no, we have to share a bed. What? We have to. Oh no, I have to wear this immodest clothing because I have a sunburn and, and that's how he's going to notice me. Like all of these stupid little slimy tricks that, that Christian romance novels yep. tend to fall into while at the same time they're trying to shoehorn Christianity into a story that it doesn't fit in because the story is neither good nor true. Right. And you can't fit like this beautiful <laughs> gospel into a, 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 a twisted story like that. Yeah. And so I find that romance written by non-believers who are just honest and true to themselves and right according to their morals are more wholesome than a lot yeah. of Christian romance. I I will argue that my Penny Reed books with all four bases are more wholesome than the majority of Christian romance. I totally agree with this assessment, which is, but the fact that Francine Rivers breaks all of those molds, I, yeah. I have yet to find another author like her. She literally, literally retold Hosea. I mean, that is, that's pretty, I have to, I have to read that now. You have to. I love Hosea. You have to. And the masterpiece is also good. It's about a spray paint artist who basically has to come back from his life doing crime and all of that. It's a redemptive story that involves art, which I really love too. So uh, I don't, I haven't tried her other books yet, but redeeming love is just so powerful and so beautiful. Aww. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed these 10 romance books. Hopefully they uh, made your Valentine's Day more enjoyable, gave you some things to think about, uh, and we hope you'll check out some of these books. Tune in next week. I think Abby's going to join me again. We're going to talk about Harry Potter, not just one Harry Potter book, but the whole cultural impact of Harry Potter, including the new AKA Genocide Simulator, whatever it's called. <laughs> absolutely crazy so look forward to that on lit next week at 7 p.m on tuesday abby you want to tell us what's going on on conspiracy pilled this week on conspiracy pilled we are wrapping our first season and we're gonna do kind of instead of covering just one topic on an on an episode which we usually do we're gonna kind of do a recap of everything we've covered updates on things we've covered stories that were important but weren't long enough for a whole episode we're gonna cover just a whole bunch of stuff about the last several months of our first season of Conspiracy so Pilled. Oh, I'm so excited. Conspiracy Pilled is by far my favorite podcast that has come out lately. It is powerful. It's got me reading Revelations, which I had sworn Thanks. off of after Jeremy Jenkins and Tim LaHaye ruined my life. Um, so go check them out. They are super awesome. And uh, go subscribe to Lit and Conspiracy Pilled and see you guys again next week. Bye. Bye.